All right, I think we're recording. We've got several scientists, professional scientists in, in the room tonight, a couple biologists, a chemist, a physicist, and some uh, uh, science majors. And I know many people that are interested in this topic, God versus science. Can they both be true? Is there a conflict? Well, before answering this specific question, we need to specifically know and understand what we're talking about. So let's start by defining science. Now, actually, there's many different types of science. We've got the science of the historical method. We've got the science of hermeneutics, which is the, you know, the science of getting to an author's original intent. You know, we do this when trying to, you know, when we're studying the Constitution, and you even do it when you're reading your emails, if you realize it or not. There's a science to that. Uh, there's computer science. Uh, Sean, as a computer science major, spoke on this topic two weeks ago. And we actually have the science of God. If God exists or not, there's a study of God, um, which is called what? Theology, right. So different kinds of sciences. However, the way most people understand the term and use it today is that science is the study of nature. And this is otherwise known as natural science. So for my purpose tonight, when I use the word science, I am meaning those that study nature, those that study uh, the space-time universe and all of its contents, right, including the earth and biology and chemistry and, and physics and things like that. Um, so the study of nature is what I'm talking about tonight. Now, since science is the study of nature, it follows that a scientist is one that studies nature, right? So this means then that they are qualified to make author authoritative statements about nature based on observable and empirical data. This is what a scientist does, and this is the field of a scientist. So Frank, a chemist, for example, can tell us all sorts of things about chemistry, but a chemist starts to get out of their field a little bit um, when they begin making statements about other areas of science. Uh, so um, if, if Frank starts uh, making claims about physics, well, he doesn't have quite the same uh, authority to speak on physics as Dave does, since he's a PhD in physics, right? So he starts to get out of his field. Dave starts to get out of his field when he starts making claims on biology, right? Sure, they've all had some of this some of these classes in college when they were uh, training to be scientists, right? But they start getting out of their field of expertise when talking about other areas of science. So with that in mind, a scientist is completely out of their field when they start making expert claims regarding non-scientific things. Uh, for example, literary criticism or art appreciation or sports, or politics, or anything other than nature. Now remember, God, if he exists, is the creator of nature, and so he would not be nature. So the scientist is not in a position to speak with any authority on these things, and that would include God. Now, if you've been around here much, or if you know me at all, you're probably familiar with many of the different arguments that I like to refer to that demonstrate that God probably exists. Um, we've got the, the Leibnizian cosmological argument, the Kalam cosmological argument, the ontological 
argument for God's existence. We've got the fine-tuning argument for God's existence. Uh, all these different kinds of arguments. Alan Planiga has said there's over two dozen arguments that demonstrate that God probably exists. And then there's other arguments like the, the one my master's thesis was based on, uh, which demonstrates that naturalism is probably false in that the human soul probably exists, that there's an immaterial aspect to humanity that I like to call a soul. Uh, and that that is, uh, I proved it logically, and then I even used some scientific data to support that. So uh, arguments like my free-thinking argument for the existence of the soul and the Kalam cosmological argument, things like this, these are arguments based on logic and that are strengthened and supported by some scientific data. Okay, So that's how we use science in this sense, to support premises in these philosophical arguments. Now, let me talk about my view of naturalism, which is the view and the belief that the only things that exist are things that can be scientifically tested and empirically verified, or that only nature is what exists. I believe that this is a faith statement, um, that people have a faith in naturalism, and that they start with the assumption that all that exists is nature. Um, now, right off the bat, it's vital to recognize that this is only a question-begging assumption. Okay, it's, We call it a question-begging assumption that can never be proven. So my question is, why think it's a good assumption? Why think it's true? Why think it's correct? It seems to me that this is an assumption that you have to hold on faith and faith alone. Now, I think there's many reasons to think this philosophy, and it is nothing but a philosophy, called naturalism, is incorrect. Now, this leads to another related philosophy called scientism. Okay? Uh, some people like to call it empiricism. Some call it verificationism. But basically, scientism uh, boils down to this, that science and science alone is the source of all knowledge and truth. That is uh, the foundation of the advocate of scientism. That science and science alone is the only way to know things, the only way to come to truth. Now, if science is the study of nature, and God, if he exists, is the creator of all nature, therefore, it follows that he must be something other than nature, unless you want to affirm logically incoherent statements such as nature existed before nature existed. That's logically incoherent. So if God is the creator of all nature, then it follows that he should be and will be something other than nature. Philosophers call this supernatural. And we can get into that when we study things like the Kalam cosmological argument or the Leibnizian argument or even the ontological, all right? Um, so we have reasons to, to think that this supernatural cause of the universe, for example, exists. But if you start with the assumption and the presupposition that the only way we can know things is via science, then God is ruled out a priori without any good reason. It's just based on faith. Now, it's important to think logically here. If one believes 
that only things that can be scientifically verified provide truth, and they believe that's true, then they have a big problem. Can anyone see why? Some of you are shaking your heads. Yes, some are. I don't know. It is a self-defeating statement. The statement itself cannot be scientifically validated. So, uh, follow this. The statement, only scientific discoveries are true, is not a statement that is scientifically testable or discoverable or validated in any way. It is not a statement that is discovered in a lab or under a microscope or through a telescope. It is not something that is empirically observed. If one says the only, the only scientific discoveries are true, and they believe that's true, then they've just defeated their own uh, belief system. Uh, this is the knowledge claim that scientism is based on. Again, it's known as a self-refuting or self-defeating statement. It's similar to this statement. If I say, there are no sentences that contain more than three words, what's wrong with that? There are no sentences that contain more than three words. How many words was in that sentence? Ten. Should that sentence be believed? No. That you ought to reject what that statement is affirming because the statement itself refutes itself. Um, that sentence has ten words in it. Therefore, that statement is false and it should not be believed. In fact, it should be rejected. I always say this. Any argument based on a logical fallacy is no argument at all. Any argument based on a logical fallacy is no argument at all. Or a worldview based on a logical fallacy is no worldview at all. It ought to be rejected. At least by people who consider themselves intellectual, reasonable, or people that consider, consider themselves to be rational thinkers or empowered by reason. Now, it's vital to realize that scientism or empiricism is nothing but a philosophy of epistemology. That's a big word. Epistemology is how we come to know things, right? how we gain knowledge. But this, uh, this scientism, uh, this philosophy of epistemology, which is not... It's not based on the laws of logic, but it's only based on an assumption. It's based on faith and faith alone. Faith, in fact, in the face of reason and evidence. Faith in the face of logic. Faith in the face of reason. Now, typically, if one holds to the assumption of scientism, it's because this assumption is based on another assumption. Again, I've demonstrated this. naturalism and scientism go hand in hand. But I want to dissect this a bit. Naturalism is typically the view that all that exists is nature. But let's slice this up. I think there's actually two ways to be a naturalist. Um, you've got metaphysical naturalism, and then you've got epistemological naturalism. Now, I'm going to put that on hold. I'm going to come right back to that. Um, but just before I get there, let me say this. I already mentioned that scientism and empiricism are logically self-refuting. Okay, To say that science is the only way to know things, and you claim to know that, then there's at least one thing you can know that's not scientifically validated, and therefore that statement is false and it ought to be rejected. So, however, sometimes people say, well, you got to start somewhere. 
you got to start somewhere, so let's start with science. Now, I respond to that statement by saying, well, we don't start with science. We should start with the laws of logic. Now, why, why do we do that? Well, there's a reason. Because science presupposes logic to be true. Science assumes logic to be true. In fact, a scientist cannot even engage in the scientific method without already presupposing and assuming the laws of logic to be true. So, it's, you know, sometimes I get accused of circular reasoning at this point. Uh, an empiricist said, well, well Tim, you're, you're guilty of circular reasoning here by stating that you start with logic. Well, here's the problem. Circular reasoning also known as begging the question, is uh, it's a fallacy based on logic, not science. So you can't reject, starting with logic, affirming to a logical fallacy. He was resorting to logic to try to tell me that logic should not be our starting point. And you cannot, so you cannot appeal to logic to defeat logic. You are affirming my point by doing that. Um, so logic... Think about this. Logic is the ground level of reasoning. Science would be impossible to engage in without logic. Logic is bedrock. Now, a lot of times Christians get mad at me because I say, we do not start with the Bible. M most Christians would say that. Well, we start with God's Word. I'm like, no, we don't, actually. I, I'd say the same thing to those presuppositionalists and I do to my naturalist friends who are presupposing naturalism. I say we start with logic. Now we can conclude that the Bible is God's word and then go from there, but we just don't start there. We're not, we should not presuppose because a presupposition begging the question is a logical fallacy and any view based on a logical fallacy is not a good view at all, right? So we start with logic. Why do we start with logic? We don't just start there for arbitrary reasons. We start there because to argue against logic, you have to provide logic. And that will be affirming logic. We have reason to do so. So also, if you think about it, you can't go into any field of knowledge without logic. Math is actually based on logic. If the laws of logic were not true, math would be impossible. Science, as I said, depends on logic. The historical method cannot be done without assuming logic. And even theology, as I say, cannot be done apart from logic. And if you try it, you're a bad theologian. And sadly, there are many, many bad theologians that give Christianity a very bad name. And no wonder there's atheists in the world today because of stupid Christians like that. I'm sorry, but they exist, right? And so you cannot engage in any of these, especially the scientific method, without logic. However, you can do logic without science. In fact, we can do thought experiments in which the natural universe doesn't even exist where the laws of logic still and must apply. So we can demonstrate that logic can be done apart from science. So, unless the empiricist can provide means of reasoning that does not require logic, then we are justified in stating that logic, not science, is where we ought to start. That is to say that logic is the ground level and foundation of reaching reasonable and true conclusions. Logic and truth are inextricably linked. Now, if one wants to disregard logic, 
Well, then you can say God exists and he exists at the same time. Things like that. Everything goes out the window. Um, so logic and truth. If you're going to argue that something is true, you will also be affirming logic simult- simultaneously. They're inextricably linked. You cannot separate them. So let me get back to those distinctions I was talking about a moment ago. The difference between epistemological naturalism and metaphysical naturalism. Okay, big words. Epistemological naturalism basically means this, that we can only come to know natural things tested scientifically. Okay? And then we've got metaphysical naturalism. And that is a different belief that only natural things exist and nothing else. Okay, so epistemological naturalism means that we can only come to know things through science or empirical validation. Metaphysical naturalism means that only natural things exist. So metaphysical naturalism would imply epistemological naturalism, but epistemological naturalism does not equal metaphysical naturalism. Let me try to explain this. All right, now, as we've already seen, we've got good reason to believe that epistemological naturalism is false. For one, it's overly restrictive. Right, Dr. William Lane Craig debated Alex Rosenberg a couple years ago at Purdue, I believe. He, uh, Alex Rosenberg is an um, atheistic philosopher of biology, I believe, um, or at least of science, from Duke University and did a podcast on this following the debate. One thing that Craig pointed out is that epistemological naturalism is overly restrictive for once, or for example, um, mathematical truths are not something that can be discovered through science. In fact, it's assumed by science. Logical truths, again, not provable by science, but presupposed and assumed by science. Metaphysical truths, Um, such as the external world exists or the reality of the past. These are things that science cannot prove, uh, yet it presupposes. Um, Ethical truths. Science is the study of what is the case, not what ought to be the case. In fact, on a purely naturalistic view, there are no oughts. Everything is causally determined. And so there is no oughts, there is only what is. So you cannot derive an ought from an is, so science is impotent to make ethical claims. Um, Aesthetic truths. Um, I've heard it said that some scientific truths cannot even be proven scientifically. But consider this, truths of literary criticism. The professor of logic at Oxford University, uh, Dr. Timothy Williamson, makes this point. Um, It's not scientifically verifiable to come to some conclusions. Uh, since I'm a Star Wars fan, let's consider Star Wars here. Jabba the Hutt is not the hero in the Star Wars saga, right? Or, or Jabba the Hutt is not the hero in The Return of the Jedi. This claim, this truth claim, has nothing to do with physics, you see. So Williamson from Oxford asks the question, Why can't there be things only discoverable by non-scientific means or not discoverable at all? Why can't there be these these things? Second, he goes on to make the point that I've already made, and he says this, It is not discoverable by hard science that all truths are discoverable by hard science. Let me say that again. It is not discoverable by hard science 
that all truths are discoverable by hard science. You see, scientism, as I mentioned, fails its own test, and therefore it cannot logically or reasonably or rationally be true. Therefore, people that hold this position are being illogical. They're holding an irrational view. And if that's their view, they lose all grounds for rejecting Christianity, at least on an intellectual basis. Now, with all that said, even though we have good reasons to believe that epistemological naturalism is false, right? The view that we can only learn things through science. Even though we have good reasons to believe that's false because it's self-refuting and overly restrictive, even if it were true, it does not logically follow that metaphysical naturalism must be true. Okay? Even if epistemological naturalism were true, and I don't think it is, it does not follow that only natural things exist. Remember Timothy Williamson's quote, Why can't there be things only discoverable by non-scientific means or not discoverable at all? All right, imagine if we would have only evolved four of our five senses. All right, let's suppose we didn't evolve the sense of smell. I've got a cold right now. I can easily imagine this world because I can't smell anything. Um, So if we did not evolve the sense of smell, would that imply, and would it logically follow, that there were no odors or scents? Does that imply that there would be no smellable things if we never evolved our noses? Why can't there be things that would be detectable if we would have developed a sixth sense or perhaps a seventh sense? To just answer just because is not a good answer. So even though we've demonstrated that epistemological naturalism is logically incoherent, even if someone wants to hold to that position, they can still believe in things that are not detectable by our five senses. And this would include things like God or the human soul. Even numbers for that instance, for instance. Epistemological naturalism does not logically imply metaphysical naturalism, the view that nature is all, or the view that nature is all that exists. Consider one of the most influential epistemological naturalists of the 20th century, W.V.O. Quine. Now, Quine believed that if there was an indirect explanatory benefit from postulating the idea of God or the soul, then although we could not prove these things scientifically with 100% certainty by any means, Quine would be open to the existence of these things. Moreover, from what I understand, Quine did seem to believe in the reality of at least some abstract objects. For example, numbers and sets. So you see, Quine was an epistemological naturalist, but not a metaphysical naturalist. So one can be a naturalist and still be open to postulating a soul or God if doing so turns out to be part of the best explanation of our experience. And this is exactly what I use with this cumulative case of arguments that demonstrate that God probably exists. It's not a God of the gaps kind of thing. It's an inference to the best explanation, you see. And that is a different kind of thing. And in fact, that is what scientists do. 
they infer the best explanation. And again, it's uh, through arguments like I listed earlier. Uh, many, over two dozen of them, but two of my favorites are the Kalam cosmological argument and the free-thinking argument against naturalism. Now, as I conclude, as Timothy Williamson says, epistemological naturalism is not incompatible with religion. So, I hope you see that although we have good reason to believe that epistemological naturalism is false, even if it were true, and remember, it's self-defeating and self-refuting, but even if it were true, we would still be justified in thinking that the best explanation or the inference to the best explanation is that God exists, even though science can't directly test, discover, or verify his existence directly. So, therefore, there is no good reason for an epistemological naturalist to not be a Christian or a Christian theist. Really quickly, on metaphysical naturalism, we've studied and scrutinized the arguments that I've mentioned. Um, I'm not going to go through them all again. But if this cumulative case of evidence is considered, it demonstrates that there is much more to reality than simply matter, nature, and purely physical things. These arguments are based on logic and supported by some scientific data. Now, I tell you that science is not in the field to make authoritative claims on the existence of immaterial or supernatural things. It's just the wrong field. You might as well ask a plumber what they think because they are just as justified in stating that God or the soul does or does not exist. Now, you hear me appeal to science quite often, though. I love science, so thank you for all my scientist friends in the room. Um, I love you guys, and I'm so thankful for you. And as you know, I'm always asking you guys questions because I want to think logically about your conclusions. I trust you there. This is your field. But I use scientific data not to prove God exists because you can't. It's the wrong field. You cannot use science to prove or disprove God's existence, but scientific data can strengthen and support premises and philosophical arguments which lead to logical conclusions with supernatural significance and theistic implications. And that is exactly what I use science to do. In conclusion, um, I would just say that after examining all of the cumulative case of arguments that relies on logic and even uses some scientific data to support these conclusions, I believe that the best explanation is that there is a transcendent cause of the space-time universe who has finally tuned it for humanity to exist and come to know him in a true love relationship. This is based on logical reasons, and therefore my faith as a Christian is a reasonable faith. Three things to consider as, as I close here. Science is not in a position to make supernatural claims. You might as well ask a plumber what they think. Nothing against plumbers, because um, I'm thankful for plumbers also. <laughs> but science is not in a position to make supernatural claims unless the supernatural or the religious person makes natural claims. For example, Mormonism. Mormons will tell you that the universe never began to exist that it's infinite in the past. Well, Dave, as a physicist, will tell you that all of the scientific data today points to the inference to the best explanation 
that the universe began to exist around 14 billion years ago. Therefore, this religious claim is false, probably, based on scientific data. Also, you've got some Christians who say that the earth is only six to 10,000 years old. Dave can use the same evidence, Big Bang cosmology, the uh, second law of thermodynamics and the Borg-Guth-Vilenkin theorem of 2003 to demonstrate not only that Mormons are wrong, but so are the religious claims of people like Ken Ham okay, and young earth creationists. You can use science to invalidate religious claims, but not the existence of supernatural things like God, souls, angels, demons, abstract objects, things like that. All right, that's point one. Science is not in a position to make supernatural claims unless the supernatural makes natural claims. Two, the philosophy of scientism is a bad one. It's logically fallacious. It's self-refuting and self-defeating, and it's overly restrictive. And three, even if one holds to epistemological naturalism, it does not logically follow that they must hold to metaphysical naturalism. An epistemological naturalist can still actually be a Christian. Let me end with this Bible verse. Psalm 19.1 says, Day after day, your creation pours forth speech. Night after night, it delivers knowledge. We have biblical reason to study nature. We have biblical reason to be good scientists, to study nature and to see what we can learn from it. You see, some theologians study God's word, Others study God's work. So to my scientist friends here tonight, you are actually theologians. If you realize it or not, if you like it or not, you are a theologian. You study God's work. I study God's word. You study God's work. And I believe that God's word and his work will never contradict if both are interpreted correctly. And we have a history of saying that there are errors on both sides of the aisle. Scientists, I, I thank you for, for helping me think clearly and to work with me. I'll, I'll just tell you this, that science and God are not in conflict, even though science and some religious claims might be. have a handout, so I was going to start it up here up front. Would you please pass that around? Thank you. <laughs> All right. Now, I don't know. I'm thinking I might have to take issue with Tim on calling names at the end there, saying that scientists are theologians, not <laughs> Tim. <laughs> no, I. Um, but thank you, Tim. I do appreciate your talk. And I. what I wanted to talk about on from the point of view of a scientist is, first of all, I want to be very clear that I, when I speak as a scientist, I'm just one viewpoint among many different viewpoints of scientists. There are a lot of different, just like there are a lot of different theologians, a lot of different viewpoints. Um, I don't claim to speak authoritatively for all of science or all of scientists, but I'm just here to really hope to just kind of get some discussion going and talk about from the perspective of somebody who does work as a scientist um, this deal with this question and, and address this question about compatibility between um, science and faith 
And so what I wanted to start off with was <clears throat> this statement by the Natu National Academy of Science about um, basically addressing kind of the issues surrounding um, compatibility of science and religion as pertains to questions of evolution. Because one of the areas in which there's a lot of consternation on both sides, I think, from scientists' point of view and from people on the religious point of view, is this whole question about evolution. Now, I will say that's not my purpose tonight to talk about, you know, specific um, claims between, you know, the t on the issue of evolution. So I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not here to try to talk about evolution tonight, but I don't, I'm not ignoring that that is one of the big areas in which um, there's compatibility difference. And, and it depends on your point of view as a person of faith, and it depends on your point of view as a person of science as to whether or not there are conflicts. But certainly, there are conflicts depending on how your, your point of view comes about. So um, the National Academy of Science has adopted on their website has a statement that addresses this. And actually, and I showed this to Tim in advance because I, I knew a little bit about what he was going to talk about. So I highlighted this first, this first point for, for Tim, um, and which basically kind of echoes what Tim was talking about in his, um, during his talk, especially early on. And the acceptance of evidence for, um, I'm sorry, science is not the only way of knowing and understanding. Now, I think that even most scientists will agree with this, but what you come, but there is a, there can be a conflict in value of what is known, right? So sometimes people will say, and we'll talk about some of these, um, these points of incompatibility, these points at which, well, no, there is a problem here, there is a conflict here. And what I'm, what I want to do is I don't want to gloss over and say there are no conflicts or there are no um, disagreements that science and religion are going to have. Um, but I wanted to start off with kind of an affirming statement that basically comes from, from uh, this, their National Academy of Science website. So I'm not going to read through all of this for you, but I wanted to just kind of highlight a couple of points from it. And particularly, they're dealing with the idea of <clears throat> evolution or the concept of biological evolution because when Darwin proposed this, this, even in his day, was a fairly contentious idea um, because it represented a very big change in the way people looked at how life had come to be. And so there, it definitely was a point of conflict during Darwin's day, and even Darwin, um, I'm sure, was, well, I'm not I know he was aware of this and had to grapple with that at his, during his time. And we even still do today. I mean, we still have debate and argument and discussion back and forth. Um, now, so I'm not, the, I don't believe the National Academy of Science is not saying that there aren't potential points of um, differences. But fundamentally, they seem to be saying that they're not fundamentally incompatible. Now, not all, and not all, I'm not saying all scientists think this either, but this is their, this is their statement. And um, 
the acceptance of evidence for evolution can be compatible with, with religious faith is part of their statement as well. And um, now this is going to be, for some people, this is going to be um, disputable on both sides, both from the religious point of view and also from the scientific point of view. But um, it certainly seems that it would be more valuable than just to say, well, there's... N we disagree on this, let's have no discussion. But to say, well, maybe we disagree on this, but let's have a discussion and maybe you can convince me of something that I haven't thought of before and I'll try to be open to listen to your arguments and you are open to listen to my arguments. And I think that the concept that of compatibility doesn't necessarily always mean that we have necessary agreement on all issues, but that at least um, there is an, uh, the opportunity to maybe come to some kind of agreement. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that they point out here, though, is that um, there are many times at the basic level of um, statement, we don't necessarily know if things are incompatible until we extrapolate from those points. So there are certain points that will be made on either side that on a, basically, on face value, we can discuss we discuss them, but oftentimes it's where we go from there. What we what we take these things to be saying, um, and <clears throat> one of the things that I the other statements that I liked about this was in the second this this third slide. He talks about science and religion being based on different aspects of human experience. In science, explanations must be based on evidence drawn from examining the natural world. Scientifically based observations or experiments that conflict with an explanation eventually must lead to modification or abandonment of that explanation. And I think that the um, this is an accurate description of science. Science is something, it's a basically study of the natural world where um, you come up with ideas and theories of what you think what's going on and you're trying to explain some particular phenomenon but oftentimes you're going to have to revise your theory I mean just my um, experience right now I'm going through something that's in um, just in, our, in my lab that's a trivial sort of experiment but I can't get it to work and I'm trying to troubleshoot and figure out why can't I get it to work and um, and so I'm going to go through and I'm going to try to come up with natural explanations. I'm not going to say, well, you know, I think that there's a demon in here somewhere. And maybe I need to call Tim to come into my lab. And let's, if we get rid of this demon, we, I, you know, maybe my experiment would start working. Well, I don't practice science that way. Um, although, I don't know, Josh, it might be an idea. <laughs> we can't get this thing to work. Uh, <laughs> plan, that would be plan Z, I will admit. That would be plan Z. But, but until we get to plan Z, I've got a couple other um, natural explanations I'm trying to work on. <laughs> the most natural explanation is that I'm just screwing it up. So, <laughs> All right. And then the last um, slide that I have in terms of the statement from uh, the NAS is, is here. And I just highlighted this. Um, this part in the middle. Because they are not part of nature, supernatural entities cannot be investigated by science. In this sense, science and religion are separate and address aspects of human understanding in different ways. 
Attempts to pit science and religion against each other create controversy where none needs to exist. Now, that is basically where I come down on this. I don't think we have to have um, uh, unnecessary controversy. I don't think that it's unhealthy to have discussion and argument and debate and whatnot. But I don't think that it has that we have to pit one thing against the other. Um, and in in in, a, in a, I am in agreement with this uh, part of the statement. Now. I went through this because this is basically a f affirming statement that science and religion are compatible, and it comes from one of the most respected, you know, institutions in our country on science. And but it's not true that all scientists would probably agree with all of this. Okay, and so I wanted to. I don't want to ignore the fact that there are. Um, Things, their points that people make, oftentimes their scientists make, that basically point out what are believed to be um, basic incompatibilities between science and faith. And so, <clears throat> there's an article. Now, this is this came out a number of years ago. It's a column by Jerry Coyne, who is a very well-respected evolutionary biologist um, in in USA Today. And I, I went, read through it, and I wanted, I picked out a couple of points that he makes that um, actually Tim addresses to some extent. And I wanted to touch on these, but I also wanted to have some, save some time for discussion. So I'm just going to kind of discuss these very quickly, but I wanted to um, save time. So please don't um, think that I'm going to. Um, hog all the discussion on these points, right? I'm not going to um, corner the market. on. I actually want to bring these up and then um, discuss them together with you, or if you have other points that you think, well, we haven't talked about or we haven't addressed, then we could discuss those as well. One of the claims that um, Coyne makes, though, in his article is that religious claims shrink into the ever-shrinking sh um, gaps not yet filled by science. And so basically here, as science understands the world better, there are, there's less of a need for religious explanation. So like in the past, I remember even when I was a kid, and you'd hear um, thunder. And we would talk, say, oh, you know, there are the, you know the, what's going on? What's, what is this thunder? And it sounds like things rolling around up in the sky. And you know you can even imagine that maybe there are these these divine beings and they're way up in the sky and they're rolling they're bowling or something. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just the gods bowling in the sky. And you hear this boom, you know, Zeus got a strike or whatever. So as science comes along and explains that, oh no, what what you thought was gods bowling in the upper atmosphere is <clears throat> You know, uh, elect uh, electrical discharge passing through the air superheats the air so that the air expands very rapidly, and the air expands very rapidly, and that produces this sound wave, this shock wave that you and I hear as thunder. So there's a natural explanation for thunder, and so what Coin seems to be saying is that what is there to say that all of the things that we can explain by science that we say God must have done that, 
What's to say that they're not going to yet they're not going to be filled by science at some point in the future? And so he sees this as part of the reason why religion feels um, because he starts off his article and he says religion is on the defensive, and and part of what he seems to be getting at is that um, religion feels defensive is defensive of science because science is explaining away all of the things that religion used to explain. Okay, so this is one point that he makes. Another is that he says that science and faith are incompatible for the same reason that irrationality and rationality are incompatible. Now, this seems to me to be a, a little bit on the extreme side of statements, um, almost ad hominem, in saying that basically um, that science is rational and faith is completely irrational. And, and, but, but that certainly is a point of view that he holds that that's basically, you know, when we talk about compatibility, well, you know, how incompatible is irrationality and rationality? Um, the difference in science can be summed up by the following. In religion, faith is a virtue. In science, faith is a vice. And so this basically, you know, coming back to the idea that, well, what it, science does not operate on faith. So in science, there's no element of faith that you you either know or you don't know or you understand or you don't understand, but you're always seeking understanding. You don't have faith or you don't talk about having faith. Um, and, uh, and, and faith is one of these aspects of religion that makes it incompatible with science. And then the another statement that... Um, Coyne talks about or addresses in his article is that only science is equipped to find real truth. And Tim talks about talked about this a little bit in his talk, and just basically with this idea of epistemological naturalism, that only you can only come to know things through science. Um, and I and I won't go back over all of the stuff that he talked about, but he basically addressed that point in his talk fairly well, I thought. Now, um, the other, the last slide then is just summary of some of the other points, and that is science operates by using evidence and reason. Authority is rejected, doubt is valued. Now, the implication in the article was that religion does not use evidence and reason, and that's just simply not true. Now, you may not agree with the interpretation of evidence, you may not agree with the reasons that are given, but to say that it, that you don't use evidence and reason in religion is, is not true. But And also, authority is rejected and doubt is valued. Now, I will agree that doubt is valued, but I don't think in science authority is rejected. Um, not rejected. We appeal to authority all the time. In science, we appeal to people who are authorities in one area or another, or we appeal to to people that we trust in their work, and 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 so to some extent, we that I think is a bit of an overstatement. Um, authority is rejected. Now, <clears throat> there this next point: there is no way of knowing whether or not religious truth is true. Well, um, this again comes back to this concept of truth and whether or not science is the only way to understand to, to discover real truth 
and whether or not there are, is some compatibility. Well, obviously, if you think that whatever someone says from a religious point of view is not true, then um, and that it's just merely subjective. And it's a, so I think some of this point comes down to that science is objective, whereas religion is subjective. But I will, I do believe that um, science is not, scientists are not all coldly rational people, right? I mean, we, we know that there's Mr. Spock and, you know, live long and prosper to Mr. Spock. Uh, well, actually, prosper, <laughs> because, because he's, he's not with us anymore. So, but, um, but we kind of, you have that picture from Star Trek of the just coldly rational, almost robotic type ration, rational mind. And, and, but scientists are not all like that. I mean, they're very emotional. Um, there's definitely objective and subjective aspects of both science and religion. And I don't think that you can just accuse religion of only being scientific, uh, uh, subjective. Um, <clears throat> did I must have duplicated that point. Did I say that already? I think I, I thought I'd already said this point. Maybe I, I don't know, I'm not sure. Science is no more compatible with religion than it is with any other superstition like leprechauns or belief in Santa Claus. Um, or, and some people will talk about the flying spaghetti monster. You might insert that here. And the one thing that I will say about this is that belief in Santa Claus and leprechauns and the flying spaghetti monster are very different than belief in God. Okay, and attempts to to kind of mock people's belief in God by saying that they're the same as this ignores the complex, basically ignores a lot of the discussion and a lot of the arguments that are out there. They're, there's the, they're not the same thing. And I think that when you um, say this kind of thing, that, that automatically is kind of a wedge statement, um, I think. Um, but that's, that's kind of my opinion on that. Now, <clears throat> the last point that I wanted to highlight that he made was that pretending that religion and science are equally valid ways of finding truth not only weakens our concept of truth, but also gives religion undeserved authority that harms the world. Now, I will gladly admit that religion is often abused and is used um, to, to do a lot of harm and a lot of evil in the world. But I don't think that it's true that people who are just purely, purely scientific in their worldview have never done harm either. Um, and so <clears throat> it's, not, it's not necessarily true that um, someone who is an atheist or a non-theist has never done any harm to the world. I mean, you look at Stalin. Stalin killed millions and millions of people, and not in the name of religion, not in the name of Catholicism, but in the you know in the name of basically the state. And so I think that um, that point I, I I wanted to touch on as well. Now, granted, I've gone way over what I had hoped to. Let let me stop my. Um, ramblings here, and ask you what kind of what what kind of um, 
questions for Tim or for myself you might have or points that you would like to make or just points of discussion you would like to bring up. And I'll just open the floor to, um, to you guys.